The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Joining me now is uh, English former competitive swimmer Sharon Davies to discuss her new book Unfair Play, and it's. It's based both on her own experience of losing out um, in an Olympic gold to doping, but she then goes on to compare that to the current situation that is being faced by female athletes facing transgender um, competition. Sharon, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to speak to you. Can I ask why you decided to take on such a heavy mantle in the first place? Because in, in the current public discourse, raising the kind of issues that you are raising is a recipe for getting cancelled. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it has affected me, you know, quite a lot. But I I felt that it was worth it from my own perspective because I had gone through that GDR era that you mentioned of the 70s and the 80s when young East German girls as young as 11 were given uh, very old-fashioned, nasty testosterone and put through male puberty. And this meant that they could make on average about a 9% improvement uh, with their female athletes who then went on to totally dominate for nearly 20 years, particularly in swimming, track and field and rowing. Um, to the extent that European level, they won 92% of the women's medals during that period and practically none of the men's. You know, and these young girls would turn up with very deep voices, with male physique, with um, Adam's apples, with poor skin, because that's what you know high doses of testosterone does. And for 20 years, nothing was done. So I had friends that were losing out on medals and getting on podiums, you know, and I had friends that didn't even make teams because the times that were being set were unrealistic. So therefore, the qualifying times, you know, around the world for, say, something like the Olympics were much higher than they should have been. Um, And it had a massive effect. I mean, through that whole period. And I had friends that came forth at the Olympics who no one's ever heard of, you know, that that carried on to be PE teachers or or seamstress, of which there's absolutely nothing wrong with either of those careers. However, if they'd been Olympic champions, their lives would have been very different and they should have been. So I didn't want to see through a different process, but still male puberty, exactly the same happening to another generation. And I've had the benefit of 40 years of of working and earning a very good career. And I couldn't with all conscience just not sit back and say anything. But it's interesting when you read the book about your own experience facing these German athletes, because by just by by recollection of the, the events, the sense that I always had was that the issue was one of testosterone and one of doping. But you're very clear that it is not just the doping, it's how early the doping was done and the effect that that had on the puberty progression. Yeah, I mean, that's what, they, you know, they they just worked out that if they could put these young girls on testosterone early doors, that they would build an immense amount of strength. They would, you know, not quite as much as a male, um, but, but nearly, you know, at Olympic sport level, we have anything between 10% and 30%. So the more explosive an event, like weightlifting, for example, that's at the, the extreme level of 30% difference between male and female performance. Middle distance running is somewhere around 10%. Swimming is somewhere between 11 and 12. Um, so they were making a 9% on average improvement and they dominated. I mean, they totally and utterly dominated. And in some respects, we're worse off now because in those days they were just dominating, you know, European, world and Olympic competition in three sports. Now we've got it across the board, across the world, you know, from junior competitions to park run to masters events and across every single sport. So it's a much bigger problem for for female athletes to be able to have a level playing field. And that's all I've ever wanted. You know, I've just wanted us to use the science 
use the knowledge and the experience that we have, look at this period of history, which we know very clearly now what was going on, and just go, okay, this isn't offering females fair sport anymore by including people that have gone through male puberty. So what options are there? Because sport well, must But hang be- on for a second, Sharon. Can I put the, the, the counterpoint case to you? Because one of the things that people will say in response to the argument that you're laying out is that in that period, there has been a significant shift in public beliefs and understanding in respect of sex characteristics and the uh, the broad acceptance that everything is binary has long since passed. And the one that, I mean, you address it in the book, but the case that is always pointed to as evidence of the spectrum of, of sex and biological um, attributes that mean that this is not a black and white issue is Castor Semenya. So you want to talk about Castor Semenya rather than, than male and female sport? I mean, I'm very happy to talk about DSD, differences of sexual development, uh, the old-fashioned term which is often used by, by trans activists in intersex. Intersex was was put very much in the history books by, by medicine in the 1970s, but it's often used as a gotcha to try and infer that someone who's who's got a DSD is in between sexes. They are not. Uh, people with DSD are still male or female. Castor Semenya is 46XY, uh, with five ARD, which means that Castisomenia biologically is male, has internal testes, and when they were born, was visibly picked up, um, was looked at, was imagined was a female, and lived their life their early years as a female. But the moment they started to go through puberty, it was quite evident that things weren't, you know, they weren't all that they presumed to be seen. Um, and that's why we had all the court cases with World Athletics, and that's why Castor eventually had to reduce their testosterone down to five nanomol and Casa did not want to do that. So then left, left, you know, the world of, of, of athletics. But the first three athletes in the Rio Olympic Games, um, in the women's 800 were all DSD 46XY. So they were all biologically male. And while we're on that female to win that race was fourth. Well, we're on the topic then of, of that sort of sense of that, that modern view that there is a, a spectrum of those kind of um, characteristics. How do you square the advantage that a trans athlete may have with disadvantages that they may latently have in their own biology anyway? In other words, if you find a situation where you have a woman who is 6'3", 6'4", who is on the bell curve, a significant outlier, but she is biologically female... Why yeah. would she but not she do won't, that? But she won't be in the ranges of someone who's biologically male. So it's irrelevant that she's six foot three or six foot two or five foot one. She's still biologically female and will have female hormones and will not have a male puberty. So, you know what? We're not talking about someone that has long arms. We don't have Olympic categories for people that have long arms. You know, we, we have a category for male and female. So what you're arguing is that we should do away with men and women's races. Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that we don't have binary anymore? No, 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 I'm I'm not put, putting forth a thesis of any kind. I'm asking you about yours. I mean, I, that thing of the... But, these... but that's kind of the argument you're giving me. You're giving me the argument that sex is a binary, and I'm saying to you sex is binary. There is only two gametes, a small and a large gamete, male and female. To reproduce, we need one of each. There is DSD, that's differences of sexual development. That's anomalies inside the, you know, the different sexes that we have. It's not a third sex. It's not a mixture of two sexes. So it's really important that we understand biology and we don't use that as a form of gotcha. You know, if we don't believe that there is no difference between male and females, why are we bothering to have women and men's events at all? We can, have can you, events because we are very different biologically. And that's the point. So I have no problem with a woman that's six foot three or a woman that's five foot two. <clears throat> what I have a problem with 
is someone who's male who's gone through male puberty and has that. Well, can you expand on that a bit, Sharon? Because that's one of the things you, you cited in one of the examples in the book. You do a comparison between Missy Franklin and Ryan Lochte, the, the swimmers, yeah. and you say, look, and both, they're both the same height, aren't they? Yeah, they're both, bo- both six two, kids. both six foot four, or six foot four in in six wingspan. Both, yeah, yeah in, in terms three. of their overall reach, um, and more or less in and around the same kind of weight. Both hold world records in the two hundred yeah. meter uh, breaststroke, backstroke. backstroke. Sorry, and you yeah. in, in, uh, compare their times, and you say, look, Ryan. Ryan's best time at 1.52 is half a lap of head of Missy's yeah. at 2.04. Now, when they stack up so similarly <clears throat> in apparent physiology, what do you attribute that difference to? Male puberty. It's straightforward. It's really straightforward. You know, Ryan Lochte is male. Missy Franklin's female. Ryan Lochte went through male puberty. Missy Franklin didn't. They both trained equally as hard. They both were doing five to six hours a day, just the same as I was, with the best coaches in the world, with the best technicians in the world. However, nothing that Missy does will enable her to be able to beat Ryan. And the difference between those two was 11%, which is what we see, you know, across most sports. I think things like long jump and high jump, which are more explosive, we see about 22%. Weightlifting is about 30%. Um, you know, as I said, middle distance running about 10%. So the more explosive, I mean, for example, in boxing, um, a male will hit a woman of equal equal size and weight, 160% harder onto a weaker, denser bone structure. So, you know, the damage that you're going to do in something like a contact sport like boxing is just horrendous, which is why male boxers said we will not fight females because we will be done for manslaughter. So the World Boxing Association have said we'll set up extra categories, we'll hold extra leagues, we'll help the transgender community to, you know, to have bouts and to have their their boxing fights if that's what they want to do. But they're not going to put their males in with females who identify as men because someone will potentially die. Well, what and, do you do in that instance then? What's the what, Because obviously there are a number of people who um, have transitioned now, obviously in, in either direction, but it, in, in your contention it is obviously where it matters in a sporting context is if you've been through male puberty and you're now a, a trans woman. Mm-hmm. For, for people in that category who simply want to live their lives and compete in the sports that they love, what do they do? Well, they compete in an open category in events that are non-contact. So world athletics, um, world aquatics, uh, you know, we're hoping world cycling at the moment, British cycling, British triathlon. They've created an open category where anyone can identify however they wish. You know, and you mentioned obviously transgender men who are biologically female who are on testosterone, which would make it illegal for them to compete in the female category. Then they've also got somewhere to compete. However, with boxing, what's happened, as I mentioned, was that the male boxers have said, we will not fight them because we will cause them some serious damage that could potentially lead to somebody dying and that, you know, they weren't prepared to do that. So the boxing governing body said, right, then we will help you to set up leaks. So therefore, you know, transgender man will fight a transgender man, a transgender woman will fight a transgender woman, and they will help them to to create those leagues and to build that, you know, that those opportunities. I think in most sports, you can create a female, which is a protected character, you know, category, and you can have an open and inclusive category. And I think that's probably the most sensible way forward. But there's still room for debate. You know, let's let's have debate. Let's have open and honest debate, respectful debate. Let's work with the science that we've got. And the science that we've got is 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 it's very conclusive. You know, there's only 18 studies in the world and every single one of those 18 studies says we cannot remove male puberty advantage. And the last one was September of last year, which came out of Brazil, one of the largest. 
And that was after 14 years of producing testosterone. Now, let me ask you, you've obviously been both involved as an athlete and as an analyst and commentator and broadcaster at the highest level of sport, both Olympic and beyond. The governing bodies, whether they be IOC, whether they be Swimming Federation, whether they be anything else, are you seeing a shift in the way that they think and address in respect of this issue? Yeah, absolutely. But it's taken a long time, you know, and it's been very disheartening that they treated women's sport with such contempt. It was almost as if women's sport just didn't deserve the opportunity to have that fair competition because it's never affected men's sport. But sadly, a lot of sport is run still by men. Um, One of the worst offenders is the ECB, you know, cricket. They haven't even engaged with anybody to look at the science. They just have a self-identification situation. And as I've mentioned, upper body strength in in males is very much stronger than women. So imagine if you're a young person with someone coming at you who's who's throwing a you know a hard ball at you. So we had an incident of a twelve year old getting damaged to the point where her parents said, "No, I'm not going to let you play because you're going to get hurt." So women are excluding themselves from competitions, you know. And the other thing we've got happening as well, which is really disheartening, is that in primary schools in particular. Um, teachers are taking the decision to hold co-ed competitions. So they're no longer having boys and girls races. They're just having one race. And I get emails and letters every day from parents, distraught parents, saying that their daughters have come back from school and not a single little girl has won a race on their sports day. So what sort of message are we we telling our girls that that they don't have the right to have fair sport? Are there any sports that you think should be exempt from the gender separation? I think probably already the sports that we've got, you know, the sports where an engine is is the thing that you're sitting on or the thing that you're driving, because it's all about the engine. You know, it's about the biology. It's about the physiology of the body that we've got. And so anything where you're on a horse or you're in a car, you know, that uh, I think those sort of things. And to be honest, as I said, most of the sports are already, um, you know, sports where everyone competes equal because you're on something which is giving you that power. Um, But anything where any of the characteristics that comes with being male gives you an advantage. I don't believe that we should therefore enable, you know, anyone who's got that advantage to be in women's sport. You know, if you think about it logically, we have WADA. So WADA is the World Anti-Doping Agency. Their sole job is to stop people from taking drugs, which will give them the tiniest of an advantage so that they can win unfairly. What is the point of us having WADA if we just say to women, well, you've got to line up next to this person who's got a... 22% 22% advantage over you before we even fire the gun. Well, it'll be interesting to see what reaction we get to uh, this uh, interview, Sharon. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.